You are listening to Danvers Audio, a podcast by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. I'm Colin Smothers, your host and executive director of CBMW. My guest today is Marty Machowski. He's a family pastor at Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. He's also a husband and a father and the author of dozens of books, including Long Story Short, 10-Minute Devotions to Draw Your Family to God, which accompanies a church-wide curriculum, Theology, Ancient Truths Ever New, and most recently his children's book, God Made Boys and Girls, Helping Children Understand the Gift of Gender. Well, Marty, thanks so much for being on the podcast with me today. I was first introduced to you as an author through your book, Long Story Short, and there's a little bit of a story behind that. Um, At the time, I was actually leading my family in family devotionals from books of the Bible. Uh, So we'd just open up a book of the Bible, and we'd read it, and then I'd explain it, and that was that. That was family worship in our house. And uh, at the time, my wife uh, had recommended to her your book, Long Story Short, and unbeknownst to me, she she bought this book. I don't know if that's a commentary on how well and how riveting my my personal devotions were, uh, but this book showed up at our house, and uh, and I started to flip through it and decided to give it a give it a go, even though I was a bit skeptical at first. And ever since day one that we started doing the devotionals from your book, Long Story Short, uh, we have just uh, had so much joy around the dinner table um, as we've done these devotionals. So I, I'm uh, personally grateful for, for your labors as an as an author. And and since I was introduced to you as an author there, um, I've seen that you have written a, a number of other books, book, uh, church curriculum, uh, children's Bible, even books on parenting. And, and I've noticed a theme in all of your work. Uh, you seem to be burdened particularly for, for the family. Uh, why is that? Well, I think that families need help. So I began this process of writing uh, for our church here at Covenant Fellowship. And uh, I was like every other dad. I saw this big, fat study Bible sitting on my table staring me in the face, and I'm thinking like, okay, where in the world do I begin? And I thought, if I'm the children's pastor at the time, and I'm feeling that way, all the dads are feeling that way. And I wanted, my vision was to give resources to dads and moms that they could use, uh, ready-made for them, to bring the gospel to their children. And I first had that burden for our own family, well, first for my family, and then uh, the material that I used for devotions in my family, I wrote out for the families in our church, and from there, other churches wanted to get a hold of it. Finally, a publisher, New Growth Press, asked if they could publish it, and that material became Long Story Short and the New Testament companion book, Old Story New. Um, but it came it was birthed from a desire for my children and the families of our church to get the gospel to the next generation. Well, that comes out really clearly in your writing. And like I said, I've, and my family has, has greatly benefited from your work. So gospel centered, so gospel saturated and so clear, so easy to understand. Even my, my three-year-old is, is engaged around the table. But I, but I wonder if this concept of family worship is, maybe new to some folks that are, that are listening, uh, maybe if their experience is anything like mine. I, I grew up in the church. I grew up in um, what is basically considered evangelicalism. 
Uh, but this idea of family worship wasn't something that we heard a lot about. Even though I grew up in a Christian home, it wasn't something that was that was centered, and that's not uh, due to any lack of faithfulness, I think, on my, on my parents' part. It's just they didn't know about th- this concept, family worship. This wasn't something that they were introduced to. Uh, is family worship, is that kind of a, a new trend? Uh, where, where is this coming from? Well, the the term family worship, I, I think, is uh, one that not everybody is used to hearing or was taught within the context of their church upbringing. Family devotions is a, a familiar term for some, and uh, really, it stems. It's 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 age old. I mean, uh, Asaph talked about it in Psalm seventy eight when he says that we're going to pass on the things that we have heard and known, the things that our fathers have told us. We're going to teach to our children that they could teach it to their children and beyond. So this idea of family worship is simply talking about our magnificent God and all that he has done through sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross within the context of family. And what I think wars against that is a false idea that the church is supposed to provide that instruction for our children. And so people grow up sending their kids to VBS and to children's ministry and thinking that that work is going to be done there. But in reality, uh, if you say, okay, VBS is five days over the summer and you've got 52 Sundays, um, that's, you know, 20% at most of your children's lives. And we as parents, fathers in particular, have this call of, of doing more, of teaching our children about our magnificent God and all that he's done. So family worship is simply doing that, teaching your children about God and teaching your children to praise God and praising God yourself in front of your children. All that together can sound complicated, but it doesn't need to be, which is the reason why I put a book like Long Story Short together. So parents would have 10-minute devotions that they can easily put into their day, perhaps after a meal, to help their children learn about God and help God be exalted in their family and worshiped in their family so that they too can have family worship. As you mentioned, uh, in the Psalms, uh, throughout the Old Testament and even even the New Testament, uh, family worship is, is, is a theme. Maybe we don't find those words juxtaposed exactly together. Uh, one could think of Deuteronomy 6, when we, when we rise up, when we lie down, uh, the words of God being on our lips. If I'm a father and uh, maybe I'm a young father, uh, never done family worship before, I hear this term, um, I don't know what this looks like because I didn't grow up doing this. Uh, let's get real practical here. What does this look like in the home? Well, I can tell you what I did, and that is five days a week after dinner, we opened the Bible, read a short passage from Scripture, and then we asked the kids to think about it and ask them questions about what they just heard us read. And uh, that would form uh, a little study. And one of the things that I was adjusted by, as I began to do this, is 
I thought that what I shared had to be fantastic, that that my kids needed to, you know, after I shared to think, wow, dad, that was profound. And what I found was just the opposite. They were looking at me like, oh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not interested, dad, you know, fighting with each other sometimes. I'd get angry at the, the dinner table uh, when I was trying to do family devotions. But what, what God showed me over time is that I don't need to be fantastic. That's his job. That's what the Spirit of God does with what we share. What I need to be is faithful. And so what I would say to dads is think of family worship as simply being faithful to share God's Word and your affection for God alongside of sharing God's Word with your children. And then in addition to doing that after dinner during the week, on Sundays, we would gather together to sing. We would just sing praise songs. Uh, My one son played the piano, and we would say, okay, Nathan, pick out a few choruses or a few hymns, and we would sing them together. And that formed an, uh, that was an opportunity for us to actively sing praises and sing through worship to the God that we were learning about Monday through Friday. So I think if you, as a dad, are listening to this uh, podcast, you're wondering, how, how, do I, how do I begin? I would say it, it involves studying God's Word together as a family and, and adding prayers r- around that study and then worshiping, lifting up, praising God as a family. If you can do those two things, then I think that you are passing on your faith to your children faithfully. And the other thing that I'd like to share with um, dads, because invariably anybody who begins often runs into a roadblock where they stop. They fall off the family devotions wagon, and they feel condemned, and the enemy is right there to heap up just what a terrible dad they are, what a terrible mom they are. And I say, look, falling is not failing. Proverbs tells us that the righteous man falls, but he gets up again. He gets up seven times. And so my picture is falling isn't failure. You only fail if you choose to never get up from your fall. So if you haven't done family devotions, you started, you fell away, then I would say be that righteous man and get up and do it again. That's really encouraging. Um, You're a pastor in Pennsylvania. I'm a pastor here in Louisville. We know of families where uh, you've got fathers who are in various degrees involved with, uh, with their families. Um, how important, how crucial is the role of father here to family worship, even uh, maybe compared to, to mother? Well, I think biblically there is a call to fathers to rise up. Um, you know, uh, you see it in Deuteronomy in 4 through 6, there's one phrase within the context of that Deuteronomy that calls out fathers. So you realize God's talking to fathers. And in fact, in Psalm 78, it, it refers back to that call in Deuteronomy 4 through 6. It, and it talks about um, which he commanded these testimonies, this law, to, for fathers to teach their children. And we see in the New Testament that fathers are uh, specifically mentioned in Ephesians 6, um, bringing your children up in the instruction of the Lord. Um, 
But having said that, uh, it's not, there's not magic in the father. There's magic. If you want to use that word, there's a transformative power. Um, the Bible tells us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So there's transformative power in the gospel. My wife grew up with uh, six siblings total in her family, and her dad was a pastor. But her dad wasn't a faithful man, and he was a very angry and a very mean man. And uh, he didn't lead his family in devotions. But my wife's mother, in the midst of an unfaithful dad, uh, was faithful to pass on the gospel truths to the children, and all of six of the children served the Lord today, and eventually her father repented when he was 80, and his life transformed uh, at that late age. But there's a, an example of an unfaithful dad who is, you know, claiming to be a Christian but not doing his job, and my wife's mom then stood in the gap and said, look, this, this is going to get done in our home. I'm going to pass on these truths to our children. And the result is that God honored the labors of mom. Mm. What a testament to the power of God's Word and, and fidelity to God's Word. That's, a, that's really encouraging, I'm sure, for, for maybe wives that are in difficult marriages where, where the, the dad isn't stepping up to the plate, but she wants to see her children trained up in the righteousness of the Lord. And, but it is a, it is a call, I think, um, to dads, don't, don't put your wives in that situation, right? Absolutely. Um, dads, let me just speak to you directly. This is a responsibility God has uniquely given you. And if you are out there and you're listening, uh, let me call you to rise up and, and take that responsibility. How, how do I begin? Uh, open up uh, your Bible today with your children and read Psalm 23, something very simple, and just talk about that short passage of Scripture with your kids. Don't put it off, because we are, we are the ones that God has ordained to pass on this truth to the next generation. I mentioned uh, that Asaph commanded it, or said God commanded it. Um, I was just looking up this verse. Um, it says this in Deuteronomy 4, make them known to your children and your children's children. And then in, uh, that was uh, verse 9, in verse 25, it refers to fathers. When you father children and children's children and have grown in the land. So clearly, God in Deuteronomy 4 and following in Deuteronomy 6 is calling us to, to calling us as dads to pass this on and teach our children diligently. And as you mentioned, talk of these commands of God. Talk about God when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, bind them on your hands and uh, between your eyes, write them on your doorposts and on your gates. The idea there is that we are continually holding up the things of God before our kids. And 
you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be limited to formal discipleship where we're going through God's Word formally, sitting down, reading a passage, and talking about it. I mean, how many times as a dad have you received a testimony of God saving a friend or um, healing somebody of uh, a sickness or or providing for um, um, financially after a time of prayer, and you read this testimony online in your email, and it may even bring you to tears, and you talk about it with people in your fellowship or your small group, or you tell your best friend about it, and then as the kids run through the living room, you go, hey, hey, aren't you getting ready for school? And you're like, no, tell your kids what has just touched your life, that God is alive. He's real. You've seen him work in somebody in a friend's life. Let me tell you, kids, what God has done. Part of the challenge, I think, is that we want to communicate to the next generation that he's not simply an academic God, a God of history. He's present, real, alive by his Spirit. He is here today. He'll lead us into all truth. He'll be our helper. He'll remind us of all that Jesus Christ has taught. He's here with us now, and we worship him. Our kids need to see that in us, dads. Let us first come alive in the things of God, and then let that fire burn in front of your children. Amen. I'm a a graduate of Southern Seminary, two-time graduate. Um, I'm a pastor, and, and, I, and I've got to confess, though, as a father of five kids, uh, this didn't get easier after I got that diploma. It, it didn't make the task of being around the table, being around the home, um, any, any easier um, in, terms, in terms of family worship. What it took for me was forming the habit, uh, forming the practice of sitting down with my kids, opening the Bible, and reading it to them, and explaining it to them, and, jo- and worshiping God, enjoying God with them. For us, what this looked like was, um, you know, the, we have various uh, schedules in the morning. I'm um, out the door uh, earlier than my kids are maybe around some days. Uh, so, so breakfast time was kind of off the table. I'm gone all day over lunch. Uh, but the dinner time, that was something that we tried to um, that we always try to sit down and, and enjoy together as a family. And, and so what that looks like is we sit down to the, to the dinner table, we eat our meal. I try to hurry up and finish my meal, uh, before everybody else, because again, I've got five squirming little kids and as they're eating, um, what I do is I, I get down the Bible. Um, I pick up your, your book, long story short, and we open the scriptures together. And, and I just want to thank you again. Um, it, it's, it's made it so much, uh, easier uh, for me to establish that pattern and, um, and habit in our household. Um, it's, it's very simple what you do. You, you walk through the scriptures, uh, at least in that book, um, starting in the Old Testament and Genesis. Although it's not just stuck in Genesis, you, you flip around to the Psalms, the New Testament, and bring in all kinds of, uh, of different passages that relate well to the story. And then uh, you explain, you summarize uh, that passage, uh, some salient points from it, and then you ask questions, three or four questions that are very, very similar or very, very simple for, for children to understand. It, it did take a little bit of, um, of, of, of doing it over and over and over again. But now, after months and months of, of doing devotionals, family worship around the table, it's actually the, the nights that we don't do it, that we miss it, that feels out of place. That's great. I think I think forming a pattern is great. We did it very similarly in our house, 
except um, I waited till after dinner was done. And here was the rule in our home. Uh, it goes like this. Dinner, devotions, dessert. You, <laughs> you have to complete one D to get to the next one. So we're going to do dinner first. Then we'll do devotions. Can't get dessert unless you do devotions. And we always had ice cream. <laughs> and I, I just thought, you know what? I, I know our kids are getting way more ice cream than they should. But it is, it's like, no, dad, no ice cream today. We didn't do devotions. You're right, son. Let's do it quick. Let's get it done so we can have dessert. And um, I, would, I would put, long story short, just to the right of me. I sat at the end of the table, so there's some extra space. And that blue book would sit there, and or the purple book for the New Testament. And honestly, if I just absentmindedly, because we had a busy evening ahead of us, or maybe I was needing to leave to go to a meeting, if I just neglected it, um, it would be my kids who would remind me, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, Dad what about devotions? I know you got to go to a meeting, but we want ice cream when you leave. <laughs> and uh, so I would just say something like that, something simple like that developing a pattern, and your kids are going to remind you to get it done. If there's one uh, thing that would come out of this podcast, I hope it's that everybody goes and buys, long story short. Um, I'm not kidding when I say I've, I've become sort of an evangelist for this book uh, because of just how it's impacted our family, how, um, how we've been formed because of it. I, I wrote a post at cbmw.org where I was, I was trying to just encourage fathers to get in the habit of family worship and this there it couldn't be made any easier than than getting this book sitting down developing that pattern that habit with your family and uh, and just see what the lord does uh, through his word through this through this book so again i i thank you and i do hope people will will go to pick it up but uh this isn't your most recent work it's not your only work and and one of the things i wanted to talk to you about marty was your your most recent book and that's the book, God Made Boys and Girls, Helping Children Understand the Gift of Gender. Was this published, uh, was it last year or the beginning of this year? Uh, it was published in the fall of the end, end of last year. Okay, fall 2019. And, can, you, can you help us yeah, understand the, the story behind this book, God Made Boys and Girls? Yeah, you know... Um, it's interesting. I was exposed to a news article where a California preschool classroom uh, un, a teacher sort of stewarded over a transition ceremony where a young five-year-old boy left the classroom, changed into girls' clothes, and was reintroduced uh, to the class as a girl. And this all without the parents uh, knowing. And the parents, obviously, when they found out, they're, they're, some of the kids are upset. Mommy, I don't want to turn into a boy, one girl told her parents. And um, the teacher used two books um, that are teaching transgenderism uh, to uh, the youngest children. And so I, I did a search, um, and Mark uh, Prater uh, a fellow pastor of mine said, Marty, you ought to do a book on gender. I thought he was, he was thinking a book for adults, but I thought, I don't know if uh, that's not, I'm not really thought about that a lot, but this story made me think about it. And I just did a search and I found a dozen books that treat, that teach transgenderism to the youngest children, none from a Christian perspective. 
And I realized also that this issue kind of like water falls downhill. So when you have a high school student who is transitioning, uh, let's say a, a boy who's dressing like a girl, wanting to transition to female, uh, the middle school students are giggling about it. They don't have discernment. They tell their grade school uh, brothers and sisters and the preschoolers standing right there listening that a boy became a girl today in their school. Um, They don't know uh, that they shouldn't be talking about those issues in front of the youngest children. And so these issues are seeping down to our five-year-old kids. And I wanted to provide a resource for parents that would teach that gender is God's good gift to each of us, and it can never change. Hmm. We go to the library a lot as a family, and um, over the past few years, I've noticed that I really do have to screen the books that come home. You mentioned you probably did a, a search on uh, on books, child children's books that teach overtly transgenderism, but I've got to say, even even those books that aren't overt about this new harmful ideology, uh, they're sneaking it into, into all kinds of books that are, aren't even about gender or aren't even about uh, transgenderism per se. You're right, and, and I call that there's a lot of Trojan books out there. So, you know, um, the, the most celebrated book is a book entitled I Am Jazz, and uh, on February 27th, the National Education Association um, promoted Jazz and Friends National Day of School and Community Readings, where they were promoting this book, I Am Jazz, being read in schools. And uh, I had a pastor friend of mine, uh, he said, Marty, you'd never guess what happened to me. My, uh, my mom took our, our little daughter to the library to pick up books, and she came home with a book, and she was reading it. And uh, she asked me this question, Daddy, is this a boy or a girl? Looking at the picture on the front cover, and it was, I looked at it, it was obviously a girl. I said, well, honey, it's a girl. Of course it's a girl. And then moments later, she asked another question. Daddy, what does trans bigger mean? She mispronounced transgender. And, and I say it's a Trojan book because um, if you look at the front cover, it doesn't suggest any way that this is a book to teach the youngest children transgender ideas. You know, it's, it doesn't say, I am jazz, one little boy's transition to become a girl. You know, if it said that, parents would immediately be alerted. But the reality that I'm finding is so many books don't have any indication of what they're teaching on the inside. And so we as parents have to be extremely careful with uh, going to the library. We really do need to read through every book just because it looks good on the cover doesn't mean that it's uh, promoting Christian uh, values in its pages. As you mentioned, it's not just that you can go and, and pull these things off the local library shelves, but, but these things are being pushed onto our children in public schools, in the local libraries, um, even in, in some, uh, some surprising places, maybe curriculum, uh, maybe other places that you would think are, are safe from, from this kind of ideology. You, you can't be too careful. And, and that's not to say 
uh, say this to be alarmist. It, it really is um, harmful ideology that can, that can really form the way that our children are thinking and raise questions about gender, about themselves, uh, questions that would have been unthinkable 10 years ago um, in the mind of a three-year-old or a four-year-old. And it's important that we are ahead of the trend as, as fathers, as mothers, as pastors. That's why I'm really thankful for this book, God Made Boys and Girls, that you wrote. In fact, in preparation for this podcast, I actually I got the book, and I read it to my five kids. Uh, well, the, the youngest is four months old, so he, he, wasn't, he wasn't quite paying attention. But uh, <laughs> my four others were, were listening, and we read it, and I was just really thankful. It's really well illustrated, uh, easy to understand, thankful for the foundation that you supply in this book, because you go through, um, what is it that makes a boy a boy? Um, is it the way that he dresses? Is it the way that he acts? Or is it more fundamental than that? And, and you get down to the fundamentals, even um, in our God-given DNA, and, and what that DNA looks like, and how that DNA isn't just in our sexual reproductive organs, but it, it forms every part about us, boy and girl, man and woman. Oh, the, the lie that's being promoted is what you are on the outside is not necessarily what you are on the inside. So you could, you could be, uh, have a, a boy body, but a girl brain. And, you know, that's just fundamentally and scientifically incorrect, because what you are on the outside permeates every single cell of your body. And, and, the lie that is being promoted is that you really can transition from one gender to another. It's scientifically impossible. And what you discover with people who do make transitions and even go so far as to have um, sex tra transition operations, that they realize that that doesn't fix, that doesn't cure their identity crisis in their, in their gender. And, and it, only makes them feel worse because now they're they're neither what God called them to be or what they wanted to be. They're somewhere mixed in the middle. And so it, it really is important for our children that we teach them the truth foundation. You know, I didn't want to get into teaching transgenderism. I wanted to get into teaching the truth about gender so that the youngest children would have a foundation. So parents would have a tool to build that foundation in their children so that when the false ideas that you can change your gender, um, they are exposed to them, they know, no, no, gender is God's good gift, and that can never change. Mm. That's right. Gender as God-given, gender as immutable, regardless of, of what is presenting outside or, or, or what um, what that person is adhering to. And I, I think this is one, one aspect that's, that's helpful in your book. Um, you know, one of the great ironies that's point, been pointed out about transgenderism is it actually, uh, whether intentionally or not, plays to gender stereotypes uh, and actually plays up gender, gender stereotypes so that what makes a boy a boy is the fact that he likes to play football or what makes a girl a girl is the fact that she likes ballet, even apart from underlying, you know, sex characteristic uh, understandings. And, and again, the irony of that is it is actually the reinforcement of the rigid stereotype, the, the rigid gender stereotype. Yeah. And, 
I, I think you're right about that. And in today's economy, we need to be very careful about gender stereotypes because um, there is a confusing message being sown among children. So recognize, I mean, I think, I think about David, okay? If David was born today, King David, um, he's a smaller frame man who his father didn't think worthy to go before Samuel to see if he might be the king. And he's not ready to go to war. He, he can't lift or put on Saul's armor or sword. But, but who does God use to, to, as the deliverer is this singer, this poet? this songwriter, and uh, the one who wants to dance before the Lord with all his might. And so we need to be careful that we don't say, oh, you know, uh, you, you love poetry, you love music as a boy, you know, that's not manly. No, God affirmed David's manhood saying that he was a man after God's own heart. I just think it's wonderful that God would affirm his gender when talking about his love for God. And that is something that God sees. You know, man looks at the outward appearance, God tells Samuel, but God looks at the heart. God sees the truth behind the appearance. And so I just think, you know, if you have a small-framed guy, if you have a broad-shouldered girl, um, a, a boy who loves to do crafts, or a girl who loves to fix bicycles— Let's be sure to recognize that gifting is different altogether from gender. God's good gift uh, of gender is something that he gives each person, and that can never change. I'm convinced that this conversation right here that we're having is perhaps one of the most important that is facing our church today with the confusion around gender, with the confusion around sex, with the around boyhood and girlhood and manhood and womanhood. In fact, uh, a couple years back, I was reviewing uh, for our website Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body, and I, I wrote this sentence back then in 2018, how the church can encourage healthy gender conformity while not creating extra-biblical or even stereotypical standards of manhood and womanhood, boyhood and girlhood, seems to be the tallest order facing the church today. What I mean by that is we, we want to affirm that there is actually something called boyhood. There is actually something called girl, girlhood. And, and we want to disciple boys into manhood in a way that's going to look completely different from the way that we disciple girls into womanhood. So, so we want to affirm that there are distinctions, not only between male and female, but between man and woman, while at the same time, we need to make absolutely clear that we are not trying to set up extra-biblical or stereotypical standards for that boyhood or that girlhood or that manhood or that womanhood. How do you tackle that as a pastor? How do you tackle that as a father? Well, I think that it, 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 it is done through positive affirmation. So um, uh, give you a, a story. My son Noah was, uh, you know, one of the things he struggled with the most in life was sloth. And I can remember a day I came home and he was probably nine years old. And, and the, one, the same kid who refused to help me 
split some firewood after the after the first log. Are we going to do all of this? It's like something. We did one log. <laughs> he was stacking wood, I, I, and I'm like, get to the top of the driveway. I'm in disbelief. I go in and ask my wife, "Did you ask him to do this?" No, he did that because he wanted to bless you. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I went outside. I went up to Noah, and I said, "Son." You are doing what a man does, not what a boy does. A boy sits behind a computer and plays games all day, but a man provides for his home. A man uh, has been given strength to provide, strength to do the work of caring for the family. And what you are doing right now is what a man does. A man is called to sacrifice, to give himself up for the betterment of his wife, to to just to be an example, just as Christ did for the church. Son, I am so excited for what you're doing. You could just see him light up like a Christmas tree. Because what was I doing? I was, I was not just encouraging him for the work that he was doing. I was encouraging him for taking initiative, providing for our family, walking in the good of his biblical role. In a similar way, my wife would do the same thing with our daughters. That doesn't mean that if my daughter stacked firewood, I would rebuke her. It doesn't mean that if my son pitched in with the dishes, I would say, do you see that firewood stack out there? But I would look for opportunities to positively affirm biblical roles and gender in my children as they walked in the good of them. So when my daughter helped with a younger baby in our family, my older daughter helped with you know, Emma helped with Amelia. I would affirm, you are going to be such a great mom. Look how you are caring for Amelia. You are doing such a fantastic job. Now, will all of our daughters be moms? No, some will be single. Will all of our sons become dads? No, uh, some won't have children. Some won't get married. But when you look at scripture, right from Genesis, You see this declaration, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. There's not a like, well, let's make sure that we make a little wall, build a wall and fence for singles. Uh, We don't have to do that. Let's affirm biblical roles to our children. And if they remain single, that's great. But they'll grow up understanding and appreciating and, and living in the good of walking in biblical roles and confidence in their gender. It's just striking me right now how how gospel-formed that answer is. Um, yes, the prohibitions are important, but how much more important the, the affirmations, the affirmations that, you know, you don't become a boy. You are a boy. You are a man. No, you don't become a girl or become a woman. You, you are a girl. You are a woman. Therefore, be who you are. Be, be who you are. Be, the, be who uh, God has created you to be and, and how... Uh, gospel-centered that answer is. I'm I'm just really grateful for that. And I've just seen that working out practically uh, similarly in, in my own life, in my own uh, experience as a father, how much more my son, my sons and my daughters, uh, how much more they respond to positive affirmation and encouragement. Uh, although, the again, the, the prohibitions and, and the corrections, th- those are needed, but how much uh, more important those affirmations and those encouragements toward godly manhood and, and godly womanhood. 
If I could say one more thing about gender, I think it's important that we also be aware of how to relate to, to kids who are confused, because we're going to have more of them. We're going to have more kids growing up confused because there's a message of confusion being sown. It's really important that we make a distinction between those who are promoting these ideas and those who are being confused by them. We need to make sure that we are compassionate toward young people who are struggling with their identity because uh, they've been sold uh, a system of belief that's based on lies. Uh, we have a, a one person in our neighborhood who has a young teen struggling in transition. You know, I don't want to treat them like the pariah. I want to look for opportunities to love and care and see if the Lord doesn't provide some encouragement through me to them and pray for them. But we need to, I think we need to, to have and strike a, a note of compassion toward people who are struggling. I think there can be a, a knee-jerk reaction by some to think that they've suddenly become a part of the problem uh, when actually they're a victim uh, who's struggling because they've been taught a, 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 you know, a bill of goods that's just not truth. Such an important word there. We, we care for, we love the captive even as we rage against the captor. Marty, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your work in this new book, God Made Boys and Girls, Helping Children Understand the Gift of Gender, your work in the family devotionals you've written and the curriculum. Um, it has been a blessing to the church, and I pray that it will continue to be a blessing to the church. Thank you, brother. Well, thanks, Colin. I appreciate being on your program. Resources like Danvers Audio are made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider giving at cdmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening to Danvers Audio.